This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is March 10th, 2022. To say things have changed since our last episode two weeks ago is an understatement. We're in a totally different world. There's war in Ukraine. Russia's unprovoked invasion has led it to be politically isolated. There have been unprecedented sanctions put in place, bans on Russian oil in the US and UK. But all of these efforts to quarantine Russia from the West have not stopped the uncertainty from spilling over into the markets as well. More devastating, of course, than the economic toll is the humanitarian one. There's a human toll that is just horrific in terms of, you know, what you observe and see, you know, on a daily basis. That's Peter Zangari, MSCI's head of research and product development. Peter's our first guest today. The the second is Thomas Verbrocken. Thomas is a member of MSCI's solutions research team who has recently used stress testing tool from MSCI to run some scenario analysis in terms of possible events in Ukraine. Thomas also happens to be in Budapest, so he has a very close-up view of the war. What's really terrible to see is the humanitarian crisis unfolding, and um, and I think that's, I mean, that's the worst to see from, from that close. So we, you know, Hungary borders Ukraine, and um, people are concerned about the situation. Um, you know, re- refugees are arriving here, and there are some initiatives as well to um, to help them out. Next to the real human horrors of war, it can seem almost trite to talk about markets and the economy. But the truth is, the fallout from this catastrophe, the fallout hits us all economically. And that, too, has real human implications. So today, we're going to talk about that. We'll address what's on investors' minds, what concerns they have about uncertainty in the markets, and the results of the two stress tests run by MSCI Research to gauge what may happen in the markets going forward. But first, we start with a little perspective from Peter on what that word uncertainty actually means. Things are constantly changing. And at certain periods of time, changing more dramatically than others. In times like this, when there's the onset of a war or, or during a war, there is more uncertainty than risk, so to speak. And what do we mean by that? Well, simply put, uncertainty means that you really can't assess risks. You can't put probabilities associated with the risks. Very difficult to quantify. But when you talk about risk, by definition, you could assign probabilities to the different risks that you face. And that helps you be able to manage the risk. We're in a very uncertain time. And as we all know, on a daily basis, news comes out about if and how the war will be affected, if and how governments will respond, and so on. So again, each day, you could even say, you know, with each hour, news comes out, some of it truthful, some of it not truthful, which has another dimension to the uncertainty. But as investors, you know, we need to parse through that and do our best to make a determination 
of what we're observing. How does it affect the markets that we invest in? How does it affect the economies that affect the markets that we uh, in, invest in? And according to Peter, that, unsurprisingly, is what clients are most concerned about. Reducing risk, bringing risk levels overall down during times like this is something that, you know, I'm hearing. And it reminds me, if I go back to other events, not all crises, one of the, the, the um, approaches that investors take, these are institutional investors take, is they reduce the risk of their portfolio to avoid, again, being hit by large bouts of volatility that then gives them time to reassess the exposures that they have in their portfolios. So how is the war affecting the market so far? For that, we turn to my conversation with Thomas. Markets have been moving quite a bit, of course. Um, like equity markets in the beginning uh, held steady for a while, but, but now we see losses uh, accumulating compared to pre-invasion levels. The MSCI USA index is down about 5%, but um, emerging markets uh, 10 And for example, MSCI Germany is down by more than 15%. So um, global markets start to be affected. But there's more. Also, inflation expectations have gone up um, while sovereign 10-year yields came, came down a little bit. And then, of course, in exchange rate markets, we've seen the, the massive depreciation of the, the ruble, but also the euro lost some uh, against the dollar. And more. And, of course, last but not least, um, oil prices, they've, they've gone through the roof. Um, but even though people, uh, I mean, some people think it, it can even go higher uh, depending on how the situation evolves. The sanctions we mentioned earlier are taking a toll as well. MSCI, for example, recently reclassified Russia from emerging market to standalone market status, removing Russian securities from MSCI indexes. Other providers have also followed suit. And we also downgraded Russia's ESG government rating to triple C. That's the lowest possible. ESG Now, our sister podcast, has an excellent episode about that if you'd like to learn more. What we're observing with the, the Russia-Ukraine war is you know, the impact on energy, specifically you know, the impact on oil, and more broadly, the impact, the impact on commodity prices. So you have this you know, large spike increase in prices not only among oil and gas, but among commodities more broadly. If you think of the metals, you know, as an example, there's collateral damage, if I put it that way. Um, you know, if you take gas as an example, uh, an increase in, in gas prices, you know, in and of itself, you know, is a stress, particularly for people who rely on driving, you know, for their job. So while it's painful to deal with those high prices, what it does, if you have a given budget, is you'll tend to spend less on other things because a relatively larger proportion of your disposable income is going towards gas. So that's an example of where now gas is the trigger for slowing spending in other parts of the economy. Before the, um, the invasion, markets were already 
concerned about uh, inflation after the unprecedented stimulus during the, the pandemic. And um, in, a lot of people were talking about, you know, how monetary tightening uh, could affect the economy and markets. Uh, growth, I would say, was a little bit less of a concern. You may recall the recent February jobs report from the U.S. Department of Labor, which saw 678,000 jobs added in February and the unemployment rate fall to 3.8%. But now with, with you know, the unfolding tragedy in Ukraine, that has clouded the growth outlook. So, for example, there, there is the GDP now cost from the Atlanta Fed, which estimated 0% growth for the first quarter, down from 0.6% uh, uh, on February the, the 25th. So um, people are concerned that you know, with already high inflation, also growth might be slowing down. Um, and that's, of course, a cause for, for concern. Now, in terms of the impact on inflation expectations um, since, since the invasion, we see that they are coming up uh, slightly. So U.S. two-year break-even inflation is up more than 50 basis points, whereas the 10-year break-even inflation is, is up around 35 basis points. Um, but if you look at German data, we see the two-year up by more than 140 basis points and the 10-year by 70 basis points. So while there are concerns of growing, uh, slowing growth, also, inflation seems to be edging upwards. So here's the concern. Add one part inflation to one part slowing economy, and you get something economists dread. Not, not the R word, recession. This is the S word, stagflation. Stagflation is when you have inflation, high periods of inflation, uh, or periods of high inflation, along with slowing growth, uh, entering into a recessionary period, or in a worst case situation, a, a, a depression. It's this you know, bad combination of high inflation and slow growth, or even negative growth. And uh, that's a challenge. It's something that, at least in the US, we've observed historically in the late 70s. And uh, the Federal Reserve took very aggressive actions at the time to combat the inflation that we were facing. Well, I think what people are most afraid of now is, is stagflation. The stagflation scenario is, is what you hear people talking about uh, a lot. On top of that, of course, what markets are really following closely is how all this will affect the Fed's policy and, and other central banks. Um, you know, whether it could lead to a slower hiking path um, or not, because that will, of course, also have implications for financial markets. And of course, it's also a, a, diff a difficult place to be for, for central banks, right? Because you know, inflation is going up. But, you know, with, uh, with growth concerns, it's, uh, it, there's the risk that, you know, if you're starting to, to, to tighten the policy, that you're going to even exacerbate the the slowing growth. So um, I think that's, a, that's another reason why, why people are afraid of this scenario, because of those, you know, um, those trade-offs which have to be made. How has that been playing out? Has the, has the Fed or other central banks shifted their approach since the war started? Um, now that, that's, a very interesting, um, that's a very interesting question. And it, so it is difficult to navigate for central banks, right? So, but if we look at um, 
what what the Fed chair, uh, Mr. Powell, said said recently. Um, he he sort of backs now at the 25 basis point hike in in the March uh, meeting, uh, you know, next next week, and also a subsequent series of of hikes. And if you look at um, market data, so if you look at um, market implied probabilities then you see that markets are now expecting indeed a 25 basis point rate hike compared to 50 basis point a couple of weeks ago prior to the invasion. So markets are pricing now a slightly lower uh, rate hike in March. But then going forward, um, you still see that um, even though a little bit slower, um, they're still pricing a series of rate hikes uh, for the rest of the year. And the expectation is, you know, uh, six hikes until until the end of of the year, which seems to be consistent with um, with what the Fed is signaling. Now, if you go to Europe, um, there, what people are expecting is that the ECB um, will likely postpone major policy decisions until there is more um, clarity. And also, this is consistent with with market data, which indicates that. Um, Markets don't expect rate rises um, in, in the near future. So in short? In Europe, uh, there seems to be um, the expectation that the central bank will, will wait a little bit, whereas in the, in the US, they're expecting that uh, next week there will be a 25 basis point hike. To be well prepared, investors often rely on, on scenario analysis to see what would happen to their portfolio under a range of, uh, of outcomes. So, so basically, with the huge uncertainty nowadays, what um, what we like to do is to um, to look at the you know at the variety of scenarios, uh, because no one really knows how this is going to play out. We created the first scenarios during the first weekend of the war, but since then, you know, the situation has been evolving very rapidly. So, severe sanctions have been put in place, um, you know, freezing the international reserves, excluding. Um, you know, banks from the SWIFT system. We have, you know, defined larger shocks to account for this, you know, in- increased, um, for the increased level of sanctions, uh, etc. And we, we also expect, you know, in- increased volatility going forward, um, daily fluctuations in, in market levels. Um, what we also included in our recent uh, or most recent blog post is a more optimistic scenario. Um, which entails a de-escalation and, and central banks navigating this crisis well, leading to a soft landing. So um, we wanted to take that also in, into account in our range of scenarios because um, it's it's a potential outcome, of course, and I think it's one everyone is hoping for. Under a de-escalation scenario, the team found there could be a 4.75% hit to a diversified portfolio and an 8.67% hit to MSCI's Acqui Index. But under the grimmer scenario, where the global economy is in the grip of stagflation, uh, we see that a diversified portfolio of global equities and, and US bonds and real estate could lose about 14% under such scenarios. So this is the, the kind of analysis which we're doing to you know, provide some anchor points to investors to deal with this uncertainty. Did your analysis find that there was anywhere for investors to hide, so to speak, or are we looking at a 2008 situation? Let me break in on myself for a second here. I just have to say I have no idea why I was laughing there. Abject terror, maybe, willful disbelief. I'm really not sure, but let's go back to Thomas. 
Well, I mean, the, the comparison with the 2008 crisis is, is interesting. So that, that was obviously a very, um, a very sharp downturn. But one of the things what differentiates the 2008 crisis from now is that uh, at that time, uh, sovereign bonds, nominal sovereign bonds were, were providing a hedge, right? So that they were gaining uh, at the time the equity market was taking a, a big hit. Now, unfortunately, under a stagflation scenario, that hedge would not be the case. So because of, 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 of rising rates, because of inflation, also nominal sovereign bonds um, would take a hit. In terms of places to hide, like inflation-linked bonds, they could provide some um, some protection against against this scenario. But nominal bonds uh, would not under under this scenario. We're sort of digging into this, but is is this why stagflation is such such a scary word for investors? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the reasons, indeed, that um, you know you have that uh, that offsetting or that cushion against against losses that nominal bonds could could provide in um, in in let's say an 08 crisis that that disappears. The last time the U.S. experienced a major stagflationary period was back in the 1970s, when oil price shocks worsened rising inflation during a period of high unemployment. I wondered whether we were looking at the potential for something like that again. And once again, I turned to Peter for perspective. Whether you're in a, uh, an inflationary period, uh, whether you're working through stagflation, you know, the, the economies are different. You know, the, the uh, society is different in terms of how people work, you know, where value is created, you know, in the economy. So much changes over, you know, a span of 10, 20, 30 years that, you know, if, if you come across stagflation again, or even a high inflationary period, it, it's it's unlikely to resemble or closely resemble what we observed in the, in the past. It, it, we're in a very fluid period. Um, so I don't think there's any, um, you know, uh, obvious area in terms of how this would play out. It's true. Things are different this time around. While energy is, of course, still important, the U.S. in particular is far less reliant on oil imports than it was a half century ago. And according to Thomas... One you know, important difference is that global trade is now a lot higher than in the 70s, and that typically helps reducing inflation. Um, but maybe one of the lessons we can take away is that you know, if inflation is already embedded in the system, then um, additional shocks like energy shocks could, could pile up and keep inflation elevated, which is something to be to be aware of. At the top of the show, we said that despite the West's best efforts to quarantine Russia from the rest of the global economy, the uncertainty from the war in Ukraine was spilling into the markets and spilling to markets beyond Ukraine and Russia. There's a word for that, contagion. Thomas is already seeing some of the effects in Hungary. The Hungarian currency has um, depreciated by about 10% since the invasion, indicating that there might be some, um, some spillovers to the region. A couple of colleagues of mine, they're looking into uh, credit default swap spreads before um, the invasion and, and, and recently. Um, and also in, in that data, we see that some, some countries have seen rises in their CDS spreads. Uh, for example, in Europe, we see Poland, Hungary, Romania, and Serbia. 
as countries whose CDS threat has, has risen since the invasion, also Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan um, have seen that. So I think you, you definitely see in the, in the region in you know, different types of, of market data that there is some concern um, for, for spillover. And I think we have to closely monitor that going forward. Can you explain a little bit about why rising CDS spreads are an indicator? Yes, of course. So basically, as a CDS spread is, you could think of it as the, the price of insuring yourself against um, default of a, of a bond issuer. So if spreads rise, the, the cost of insurance goes up, which is an indication that, that markets uh, you know, deem it more likely that those countries might um, might default or at least their their credit quality is is deteriorating so so that's an indication you know that of, of markets concern about about those countries peter had a different take if you just put the the impact of the war aside for a second as difficult as that is so when we look at today what we're observing is you see a bit of a rebound uh, from what we observed during the recent drawdowns. And again, there's a lot of volatility in the markets. So we want, we don't want to read too much into any rebound because we see on any given day, depending upon what news comes out about the developments in Ukraine or what news comes out in terms of how uh, a central bank or central banks may respond to the current crisis, will impact the markets. And you know we see that as something we should expect over the foreseeable future. It's true. Much like the rest of the world, investors will need to adjust and readjust and probably readjust again based on the news that comes out of Ukraine. After two years of doing just that, as we all learned and relearned how to contend with the pandemic, we're all, well, Honestly, we're all pretty tired. And all of that is real. And all of that is fair. But as we mentioned at the top of the program, though this show remains focused on helping you understand how the war impacted global markets, I can tell you with the utmost sincerity that Peter, Thomas, Joe, me, and everyone on up to MSCI's CEO, Henry Fernandez, were all too aware of the very real human toll this is taking on those on the ground in Ukraine. That's all for this week. Our thanks to Peter and Thomas and to all of you for listening. For the latest investment insights on Ukraine, you can access the Russia-Ukraine War page on MSCI.com. We hope to see you back here for our next episode in two weeks. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe.